Good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. So we've been at the beginning of the Gospels, and I'm going to ask you to go all the way to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, the very last chapter, will be in the very last few verses of that chapter. I hope you had a good day yesterday. I think everybody's a little tired this morning, but you made it here. Hopefully you got some coffee in your system and you are ready to get in God's word this morning. And I do hope you had a good day yesterday. And now on this Sunday, you know, pastors have a decision to make. Do we continue to work through a Christmas series or do we move forward and think about the new year? And we're going to lean more towards moving forward and thinking about the new year, but tie a little bit of what we just celebrated into where we're going this morning. Uh, But you know, the new year is on our mind. I mean, by the time we meet next Sunday, we'll be in a new year. Isn't that crazy? 2022. And it's this time of year that people really get kind of radically committed to ideas and and goals, and and they make decisions to go all in on some different things. Maybe you're thinking through some uh, different goals to uh, maybe some financial goals or travel goals. Maybe you want to travel more next year. Maybe you have some remodeling goals for your house. Maybe you uh, have some fitness goals. All right, and there's nothing wrong with setting those goals. There's nothing wrong with seeking to improve different parts of our lives. I'll even have some of those even for my own life. But I want to challenge you this morning to to not make the mistake of moving into a new year and spending the remainder of this year not focused on the one thing that believers ought ought to be most radically devoted to. And it's this. It's, It's living a life that demonstrates that we believe everything we just celebrated at Christmas is actually true. To live in response to that. If we truly believe that King Jesus was born in a manger and that he died on a cross and that he rose again and he's coming back again and that he's really saved us, he's really given us new life, then it makes sense to live our lives for his glory, right? To move into a new year radically committed to that. And if we celebrated a Christmas and we believe that it's true, uh, may that be our commitment together this morning. And the question is, is how do you do that? All right, so uh, I'm not, it's going to be hard to find somebody in here, you know, that would probably, you know, raise their hand to say, I don't want to live my life for the glory of God. You may be here this morning, and we hope that you leave here desiring that. Most of us are going to go amen to that. Yeah, I want to live my life to, to the glory of, of God, for the glory of this king who came and died for me and rose again and is my savior. The question is how? How do you live your life for the remainder of this year And throughout next year, and really for your entire life, how do you live for the glory of this king? I wonder if that was a a thought and a a question on the minds of the disciples. You know, if you think about uh, the disciples, they actually got to experience and and be eyewitnesses to what we just celebrated at Christmas time. What do we celebrate at Christmas time? God becoming flesh, God putting on flesh, dwelling amongst us, right? Coming into this world, walking among humanity who had rebelled against him to save humanity, but he walked the earth. They walked with him. They actually got to see Jesus perform miracles and got to see him raise dead people to life and then got to see him die on the cross and then raise from the dead and then ascend into heaven. And they had to wonder as they were walking with him and in those last days, how do we live the rest of our lives surrendered to this king? How do we live the rest of our lives glorifying God? And to answer that question, Jesus, of course, rose from the dead. He calls a meeting on a mountain in Galilee. And he reduces the answer to that question down to just a few sentences. He could have said a lot of things to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And yet, what does he say? What does he say? Well, what he says is he shows us how we can chiefly live our lives for the glory of him. That's what we're going to look at this morning. 
we go into a new year. Stand with your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, as we've been spending this last month, last several weeks, God studying and thinking about Christmas and what it means and what you did for us. Lord, here we're fast forwarding to the end of, of the life of Jesus, God. And we pray that you would help us to understand as we listen to the words that you spoke to the disciples on the mountain that day, Lord, what it means to be radically devoted to you. Lord, I pray as we move into the new year, we're tired this morning, Lord. I know a lot's on our mind. We're thinking about the week. We're thinking about things maybe we got to get to later today. May we stop here on the last Sunday of 2021 and truly seek to understand what it looks like to live a life that glorifies you and to be all in and to embrace that calling. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I think sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life. I really do. And there's a lot of things Jesus could have said that day to the disciples, and yet he keeps it simple and he boils our calling as disciples down to this, to live a life seeking to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus Christ and to making fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ and to fully embrace that calling, to be all in. Notice a good little act. Activity or exercise you could do there with that passage is to go through it and to circle the word all. It's, it's, it's there uh, four times. You see it all over the place. All authority, all nations. I'm with you always. You break that down in the Greek, it's two words. It means all days or all the days to teach them to observe all I commanded you. And when you step back and you look at the Great Commission, you're struck by the all-encompassing nature of it, Right? There's, there's no limits to his authority. There's no limits to his mission. It's for all people. There's no limits to our obedience. And so when we think about the all-encompassing nature of it, you, the only way to respond to this, the only reasonable way, way to respond to this, if you believe he is who he says he is, is to go all in. To give him everything. Now notice some of the disciples there that they were ready to roll. They were ready to go all in. They were in a posture of wholehearted worship. They were leaning in. They were ready to hear from him. They were ready to run out and live their lives for his glory. But it says some of them doubted. Isn't that interesting? Some of them, and that may be a more encouraging detail for some of you this morning when you think about the idea of going all in, being radically devoted in your uh, living for Jesus Christ, right? Because you struggle, you hear all in and you're like, man, I know myself. You may have more in common with those disciples than you, than you realize. Remember this group that God's working with. There's some there. I, I can imagine Peter. I don't know if he was the one who doubted, but I'm encouraged that Peter's one of these guys that hears this commission and goes off and God uses him in the way that he uses him. Because Peter, I mean, he puts his foot in his mouth. He can't seem to get things right. He stumbles. He falls. God keeps picking him up. Jesus keeps picking him up and using him in a mighty way. This is a, a reminder right here that the disciples weren't perfect. That the disciples doubted, right? You're thinking about, man, all in commitment. For, for, like you're saying, we're being challenged today to go all in for the rest of next year for the glory of Jesus. Man, I didn't make it all the way through January earlier this year, my commitment to be all in with my fitness. I don't know if I can be all in when it comes to following Jesus. I doubt myself, right? I, I, I doubt that God could use somebody like me. Maybe you genuinely find yourself even doubting God and doubting God's word at times. 
You love Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, and yet you find yourself doubting. This passage reminds us that at times, disciples really dealt with doubt. And I love how honest the word of God is right here. That this is encouraging. On one hand, it's encouraging because it shows you how it verifies the reliability of Scripture, right? This is all made up, right? If these guys are kind of writing their own history, you don't exaggerate. You, don't, you exaggerate your strengths and you downplay your, wit, your, your weaknesses if you're writing your own history, right? That's what they would have done. They would have exaggerated their strengths. They would have downplayed their weaknesses. But it's just, they're just honest. This is who we were, right? We're that way. We, we exaggerate our strengths and downplay our weaknesses when we meet new people, don't we? We make sure we're buttoned up. Like if you meet a new person, if you met a new person at a Christmas gathering or a party, you've never seen them before, you don't just immediately go in, go in to that conversation with all your baggage. Like, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm a complete mess. Here, here's all the things that are wrong with me, right? No, we don't do that. We kind of show our highlight reel. Make sure we present a buttoned-up version of ourselves. We present the filtered version of who we are. And the honesty right here in Scripture encourages this morning how reliable the Word is. This is the Word of God. It's truth. But it's also encouraging because it shows us, listen, if you're doubting this morning, you're not the first doubting disciple. You may view doubts this morning as a barrier between you and God and a barrier between you and being able to go all in when they can actually launch you into a stronger relationship with God. And being more all in on mission with him. Um, some, some, and some, those, some of those in here who have followed Christ and who have lived um, th- their life, have sought to live it for the glory of Jesus for a period of time, will attest to this. That some of the most intense seasons of spiritual growth that you will ever experience are a result either of walking through an intense time of suffering and pain or an intense time of doubt. But if you will move forward in faith and you will bring those questions to God, doubt is like a foot poised for you to either move forward and back. And if you can move forward in faith with those questions, God's shoulders are big enough to handle them and he'll use that to strengthen your faith. And these disciples are doing just that. They're doubtful. Some, Not all of them, but some of them are. And they move forward and they draw close to Jesus. They seek his face in this moment. They hear his words. And we don't hear anything more about their doubts. Their doubts diminish and they go all in. Well, I wanted to make that point before we go into our three points this morning. What does it look like to go in all all in after Christmas? These are three choices you're going to need to make this year. Number one, seek to live in submission to Christ's authority. Seek to live in submission to Christ's authority. Notice he sets the stage with that phrase, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why does he start with this? Because if we're not convinced of this truth, if we're not soberly aware of the power and the authority of Christ, listen, you won't go all in with what he's commanding you in the next few verses, and you won't go all in and believing the promise that he ends all this with. The entire passage is built on that statement right here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all, it's all, listen, your, the instructions that are given to you are given in the context of who Jesus is. He is the one with all power and all authority. He has the sovereign right to rule the universe. And this is a truth that's all over scripture. Paul talks about this in his version of the Christmas story in Philippians chapter two, when he talks about Jesus stepping off the throne and humbling himself down to the point of going to, to, uh, to the cross for us and dying for us. And then what does he say? He says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In other words, the great commission that we just read, the last words that we read in the gospel is not the dying wish of a dead man. 
The great commission is the sovereign command of the resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords who rules over everything. There's no limits to his power and to his authority. There's nothing, there's nobody on this earth, nobody in this room who can escape his power and his rule and his authority. Some can try to, some can try to spend their life here ignoring it, but the word says, hey, no matter who you are, every day, one day, every, everybody will acknowledge him as king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, we say like this sometimes, you make, you got a choice to make as a human being when it comes to Jesus Christ and his authority and his power and his reign as king. You can either bow or you can bow. You can either surrender or you can surrender. You can either submit or you can submit. You can either bow to him as king and savior and Lord of your life in this life and be made a friend of God this side of eternity. Or you can bow to him in the next life as an enemy of God under the judgment of God. We highly recommend the first option. But here's what you need to know about this all-powerful king. That when you come to Jesus, it's not that you just will submit to him. You'll want to submit to him as you get to know him. You know why? Because he's not just an all-powerful king. He doesn't stop there. Listen, he's demonstrated and put on display that he's an all-powerful king that wields his power in gracious, loving, good ways. He's a good king. If you're one of those disciples on that mountain, you know that. Right? They're just not, they haven't only just been affected by his power, just his pure power. That, that was pretty impressive. He, they've heard him teach in power. This, these teaching, they're like, this guy teaches, he, he's not just any man. This, he's divine. This is the son of God, the power in the way that he teaches. They've seen him shush storms, hurricane level storms, shush them like you would shush a little kid, like hush, stop, boom, done. That was impressive to see. And it was important for them to see that, to see, for them to, to understand and for their hearts to be captivated by his power, that he's the son of God and has the power to go and accomplish what he is setting out to accomplish. But what really impacted them, what really creates a desire in them to go all in is they watch this Jesus who demonstrated this great power move in a tender way close to oppressed, rejected people like lepers. The king of the universe to draw close to those that everybody ran away from and to grab a man with leprosy by his hand and to look him in the eyes. A man who the, the crushing weight of loneliness was coming down on his life. And to show him goodness and compassion. He drew close to the forgotten, drew close to the outcast. He's just not a powerful king. He's a good king who's powerful. He showed us that he's a powerful king who's compassionate and grace-filled. Of course, showing that in the most ultimate way when he goes to the cross and dies for us in our place. This is why when this king on this mountain to these disciples, think about this. When he says, this is a, this is a, a big statement. Jesus is making a bold claim. Where he's saying all authority, every bit of power and authority in the universe has been given to me. This is why it doesn't terrify the disciples because they know he's a good king. See, authority in the wrong hands is a scary thing. In the right hands, it's a great thing. And hearts gripped, not just by the power of Jesus, but by the goodness and the mercy of this all-powerful king will gladly bow their knees to him. Because authority matters as to whether or not you're going to submit and be willing to submit to a king. Authority matters. Who has that authority matters, right? If I left my seven-year-old in charge of our house for a couple months... That would not be a success, all right? Is he going to pay the bills? Is he going to attend to the needs of his older two siblings? At times, he, you know, he's not going to have the ability to do that. He, most of the time, he's probably not going to want to do that. 
Will my older two kids, will they respect his authority? None of these things is likely, right? Someone breaks in, are they going to find comfort in his presence with the Nerf gun that he got for Christmas yesterday? Hey, it would be fun at moments, but Max brings the party. He's fun. Loud, noisy party, right? But his reign would not be a success. Why? Because who is in charge matters. Authority matters. The identity of the person and their power and their ability to do certain things matters. And Jesus has come into the world and he's proven himself to be all powerful, but he's proven himself to be good and perfect and compassionate and merciful and gracious, the gracious good king that we need. And in light of his mercy and in light of his authority, a king who stepped off the throne of heaven, left his heavenly home, we just celebrated at Christmas, to come into this world, left his throne to come down for you. When you understand the goodness and the compassion of this king, you will gladly step off the throne of your own heart and say, you reign. I'm all in. I surrender all. And it's in that posture that you're ready to receive his instructions. That's why the disciples were ready to receive his instructions and go all in. Because they were receiving it all in the context of them going all in in light, the mercy and power of this king. Number two, so we got to seek to live in submission to his authority. Number two, seek to live in sync with God's purposes. So again, he reduces it, his purposes down so just a few phrases, he goes to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So what are God's purposes for your life? The two chief ways you glorify God is by growing as a disciple and going and making disciples. That's it. By growing as a disciple and going out and making a disciple. And the way that Jesus lays this out is brilliant. See, we often approach the Great Commission on Mission Sundays, this is, and we do need to do that. This is something you need to do. We think about that word do. Great Commission is something you take, you obey, you do it. And we miss often that while that's true, again, the brilliant way that King Jesus lays this out, this is, yes, a reminder and a command about what we do, but it's also showing us who we're called continuously to be as disciples. In other words, if I'm called, Jesus is saying, you're called now to go out and replicate yourself and to make biblical disciples based on what God's word, what the New Testament says is a New Testament disciple. If that's our calling to go out and reproduce ourselves and to make biblical disciples, well, I better make sure that what's here as a biblical disciple is descriptive of my life. This serves as almost like a quick kind of discipleship checklist. Are these things true? This is what you kind of need to draw a circle around yourself. Are these things true about my life this morning as I move into a new year? And he begins with baptism. It's here because it's important. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as we walk through what baptism means, what this is going to do, it's either going to reveal to some of you, as we understand what baptism is symbolic of, we believe there's symbolism in baptism. There's nothing magical in the waters that saves you. It's symbolic of something that's happened in your life, namely becoming a Christian. And so as, as we walk through what baptism means, for some of you, you're going to realize you don't have the very thing that baptism is a picture of. You don't have salvation. For some of you, as we walk through this, you're going to realize that you need to be baptized and it's time to obey Jesus's instruction for that and get baptized. And if you have been baptized, what we'll often do is we'll kind of check out when we talk about baptism and we're kind of, even when somebody gets baptized, we'll celebrate them and that's good, but that's the extent to which we go as far as our involvement mentally, spiritually, emotionally in that moment about what's happening. 
Anytime somebody gets baptized, anytime we talk about baptism, that's a moment for us to celebrate what God's done in their life, but it's also another moment for us to remember and worship and celebrate the salvific work that God's done in my life. Baptism here is presented as the first act of obedience after salvation. And we do that, uh, some of you, most of you have seen baptisms done here. We baptize in both of our services. And when we do that, we baptize by immersion, which means we take that person and they're baptized and they go under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And we bring them back up. That's a good part. Forgot that, All right? We bring them back up out of the water. And that's a good thing to do. And as we bring them up out of the water, what that's doing is that signifying to them, to the church, to all who see it, the new identity that they now have in Christ Jesus. By being baptized, what you're doing is, is you are, you're, you're proclaiming, you're declaring in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit your allegiance to those parts of the Trinity. You're making it known, in other words, whose side you're on. That's what you're doing when you're getting baptized. You see, this was very important when the, the ordinance was established in the early church. You know, the big question back then, in those days, you needed to be clear. Is Jesus your Lord or is Caesar your Lord? In those days, or is one of these false gods that they were worshiping in that pluralistic society, is, is that your God or do you worship the triune God? Is he your God? Baptism is a way of pledging your allegiance to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're telling the world, I'm with God. I'm with Jesus. I'm his and he is mine. And baptism is also, as you're going through those motions and you go down in the water and you come back out of the water, you're, you're symbolically, publicly sharing what's already previously taken place in your life, namely salvation. So what you're doing when you walk into those waters and you're baptized and you go down under the water and you come up, you're, you're giving an announcement about something that had already taken place before you ever stepped into those waters. You're saying, hey, I want everybody to know that I'm identifying with Jesus' death and with his resurrection. I want everybody to know as I'm giving you a picture of what's happened in my life that the old me has died with Christ and I've been raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture of what's happened to you in Christ Jesus. It's a picture of trusting in the gospel for the forgiveness of your sins. And again, some of you may need to experience what baptism is a picture of. You need to be saved. And others of you who are saved and you've been saved along the way. Praise God for that. But you've never taken what right here is the first step of obedience in the life of a disciple. You've not been baptized. And you need to square that away. You need to obey God's word and you need to be baptized. And we're here to help you do that if that's you even today. Now that's a one-time step of obedience in the life of a disciple. And then Jesus says, teaching them to observe and obey all that I've commanded you. In other words, obedience is an ongoing thing. I've been saved for 20 years and I'm still learning to obey all that God's commanded me. If Jesus tarries and I, and doesn't come back and, and I'm, I'm given 40 more years to live, you know what I'll be doing 40 years from now? I'll still be continuing to learn all that God has commanded me in God's word. It's an ongoing thing that we do. Living in sync with God's purpose for you. Listen, it means first you trust in Christ. You get baptized publicly declaring who you belong to. And then you seek to live a life of an ongoing pattern of obedience, of transformation, of changing, of obeying, of repenting. And again, it's important to see this in its connection with what Jesus started all this with. The declaration of his authority and his power and all that's been given to him. In other words, if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying you follow Christ who is Lord of all. And if he is Lord of all, that means he desires to be Lord of all of you. A lesson often taught at Christmas is 
What about the innkeeper, right? That man, it's just, it is tragic that they missed an opportunity to allow the king of kings to be born in the end. We don't know all the details with that, but I do think that that's a helpful lesson to make sure that we prepare him room, right? Joy to the world's a song that we sing. comes right out of that story from the innkeeper. But listen, we got to be careful that we understand kind of the fullness of how that lesson needs to be taught. Jesus isn't interested in you, in, in you making room in your life like the innkeeper in the sense that you give him one room in the holiday inn of your life. He wants the keys to all of it. He died on the cross to save you from all of your sin so that he could be Lord of all of you. He paid it all, all to him I owe. It's all his. So here's how you can know if you're out of sync with God's purposes this morning. Are there parts of your life where you're living like the gospel is not true this morning? In other words, are there areas of your life where you're living like Jesus didn't die for that? Are there rooms that you have locked off and you've taken the key, refusing to voluntarily give that to Jesus, pretending like he didn't die to be Lord over that? Are there areas of your life where it looks like Jesus didn't purchase all of you? Areas where you're... In your life, it looks like Jesus isn't interested in, interested in reigning over the area of your life as the resurrected king. Let me, let me ask you this. Do you realize how much healing, how much restoration can take place simply by recognizing Jesus as the resurrected Lord over every area of your life? Do you realize the healing and restoration that could happen in your life if you will just bow your knee to the areas that you don't have your knee bowed down to right now to Jesus and you'll recognize him as Lord, for example, over your mouth, over your words? Lord, it's yours. It hasn't been surrendered to you. That's an area of my life that I've tried to reign over, that I've used in my own way. Lord, I want to use my words for the remainder of this year and into next year in a way that gives life to people, in a way that that demonstrates and reflects your character, that edifies, that lifts people up. I want to obey your word in this area of my life. I want to go all in surrendering to this area of my life in this new year. Is that you? Do you realize how much healing and restoration can take place in your life simply by recognizing Jesus as a resurrected Savior and Lord over your relationships? Help me, Lord, in my marriage. We, we have not sought for you to be Lord over that area of our life. And it shows. We're tired of doing it our own way. And so God, I, I pray that you would help me to obey your word. God, I pray in this new year that you would help me to be the husband that you've called me to be for your glory. The wife that you called me to be for your glory. I want to be all in. Lord, help me in all my relationships for you to be Lord. Help me to forgive people. Lord, there's people who I haven't forgiven. I've harbored bitterness towards Because from my vantage point, I don't feel like they deserve forgiveness. And yet I know that's wrong. And I know you demand my all. And so I'm bowing my knee. Understanding as I obey you the joy and the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the healing and restoration that happens when you give it up. And you drop the oars and you stop trying to row your own direction and say it's all yours. The healing and restoration that you can know by seeking to submit to him as Lord of your life over your finances, over your thought life, over your work life, over your attitude. And presenting a challenge to you this morning. 
I'm presenting an invitation on this last Sunday of the year. Hey, I could spend some time talking about some other resolutions. I could tell you, we could talk this morning about 10 steps to be a more organized person in 2022. We could talk this morning about how you can be more healthy in 2022, how you need to meet those fitness goals and how you can, uh, you know, you need to, to jump in to those fitness goals beginning in January and lose your 22 pounds in 22 and try to turn that two liter into a six pack. We could talk about all those fitness goals this morning. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm not saying I'm not going to set some goals like that. I'm just saying at the top of your list, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, at the top of your list needs to be something way more important, way more eternally significant and rewarding than any of those other resolutions. And it's to be a sold out, all in follower of Jesus Christ in 2022. To live with a wholehearted desire to be submitted to his lordship. More serious than anything else, to be a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, to understand that that is his goal for your life. That's why you're here. For him to continue to do a work in you. Romans 8, 28, we love that verse, go on to 29, because it's all about the trials, the reason you're here, the opportunities God's giving you today to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that he can use your life to glorify him by showing people around you in this dark world what Jesus looks like. And none of that can happen without an all-in commitment to obey God's word. To know it, to study it, to read it, to apply every part of his word to every part of my life. There's no getting around it. That's what we're called to do. I'm going to give you a no dust statement, all right? But sometimes we need those. No one has ever been conformed to the image of Jesus and submitted to the lordship of Jesus by disobeying him constantly and ignoring his word. And we won't be the first. So I just feel that to tell you, may our lives... Be marked in 2022 and the remainder of 2022 more than ever with a real desire to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, a life marked by obedience to the Lord and to his word. And Jesus' word, words right here on this mountain, they help us understand that living in sync with God's purposes isn't just about being a fully devoted disciple personally, kind of out of the overflow. And the other part of that is making sure that I am following his instruction to make disciples. Like to intentionally make disciples in my personal life. And then also this tells us, it helps us gain clarity and stay headed in the right direction as a church in our church life. Right? It means corporately that the great commission and the command to go and make disciples is the chief filter in our church. That's what keeps us on track as a church family to go the direction that God's called us to. Every decision that we make must be filtered through that. The question is this. Here's the question. Here's the filter question. Will this help us make disciples of Jesus? Churches have a lot of different decisions to make. And just newsflash, we're not going to agree on all the decisions that we make. Right? This isn't heaven. All right. Hopefully it's a taste of it. But there'll be times when we disagree. But listen, what we do have to make sure we do is all of us decide that everything we do runs through that filter. Is this helping us make disciples? We're in the business of making disciples. By the way, the end goal is not evangelism. The point's not to make converts. The point's not to make decisions. The point's to make disciples. People maturing in their faith, coming to Christ. Yes, that's the first part of it. But it's growing in their faith. 
And so as we filter things through that question, is this helping us make disciples? We're not going to get sidetracked by a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. Here's how we need to think about it. Let's make sure we're not sidetracked by stuff that 250 years from now will matter jack squat. What will matter 250 years from now is how many decisions we made through the filter of will this help us make disciples who are fully devoted to Jesus Christ and conforming more to his image. And as we do that from right here from the corner of Hips and Schindler to the end of the planet, we will live in sync with God's purpose for us. As we embrace that call, first to trust God, to get baptized, to publicly declare our faith, to embrace our calling, to obey all the commands of Scripture in our personal life, and then as corp- a corporate body of believers to make sure we are on track with our minds on the mission. And the mission is making disciples. Now, that's a, that's a lot of big kind of macro level stuff about what it means to be a disciple. And to be honest, if you're one of those disciples and if you feel like I feel when I really understand what God's asking me to do, it can be overwhelming. If you really think about what God's asking you to do and we end right here, I don't know how encouraging this is, right? I desire to be all in, but I, I know myself and, and I, this is where the Great Commission sails. In Jesus' last words, he says, And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So lastly this morning, number three, may we seek to live in light of the Lord's presence within us. The gospel begins with God's word showing us God is with us, Emmanuel, and he closes, making sure we never forget that God is still with us. Don't you love how the gospels is bookended with that promise that God's going to be with us? That's an awesome promise. Without that promise, following Jesus, living a life for his glory, following his instructions, the very last words out of his mouth before he ascends into heaven to the right hand of the father is impossible. In fact, you can make the case it'd be kind of cruel, wouldn't it? If Jesus said to us, we're sinners, we're prone to wander, we're, we're bent towards doing what's wrong, not towards doing what is right. What if Jesus said, okay, you're saved. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go and live a radically different life. I want you to live a holy life that aligns with my righteous character. I want you to grow in obedience to my word. I want you to go out into the world with a unique courage and boldness that goes against the grain of anything you see in this culture and to shine a light for me, I want you to go figure that out on your own. Good luck. There you go. That would not be encouraging, right? I heard one commentator say that'd be like telling a pig to spend the rest of his life being an eagle. To tell a pig to spend the rest of his life acting and flying around like an eagle. If you're that pig, you're going to be really, bro? I, I can't do that. I'm a pig. That doesn't even make sense. So I'm going I'm to ask you to put your... I mean, you're going to have to really pull down your imagination hat tied on your head, all right? Because I'm going to ask you to imagine you're a pig for a second, all right? You didn't expect to come to church to imagine that you're a pig, but I just want you to imagine it just for a few moments. In light of what we're talking about right here, imagine you're a pig and you come to Jesus. Jesus, I'm a pig. I roll around in the midst of this world like a pig. Smell like a pig, look like a pig, eat like a pig, look like a pig. My behavior has been awful. I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. What if Jesus said, okay, pig, you're forgiven. From now on, you're forgiven. I've given you that. And from now on, I want you to behave like an eagle. 
I want you to soar around on the winds of generosity. I want you to soar around on the winds of selflessness. I want you to soar around on the winds of holiness and righteousness and Christ-likeness. I want you to fly around on the wings. I want you to fly. I want you to flap your wings and fly on the, on the winds of, of helping people who are poor, of loving your enemies, of forgiving difficult people. I want you to be an eagle. What, if you're the, what do you do as a pig? I don't think I can do that. I can try. Get my little hooves and try to try to flap my wings and go, I'm a pig. I'm going to try, try this Christianity thing. I'm trying to pray, but I don't want to pray. I'm, I don't want to roll in the mud, right? I don't, I, you're telling me to go out. I'm, I'm a pig. I just want to lay around and be lazy, right? I, I'm, oink, oink. I'm just a pig. I can't fly. I look ridiculous. And praise God, that is not how the Lord deals with us. The case is, is as pigs, we come to Jesus and he says, I want you to know that your days of being a pig are completely over. I'm making you a new creation. I'm giving you new spiritual DNA, stronger than the body of sin. It doesn't mean you won't sin, but listen, when you do, my grace will abound. And I want you to know you're a new creature. You know what that means? It means this. It means from now on, you're not a sinful, wretched creature that somehow sometimes behaves rightly. You're a righteous son of God. You're a righteous daughter of God. That at some points, It's prone to wander and behave sinfully. Those are two very different things. So you can live from that new identity. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things are new, but it gets even better. I'm not only going to make you new, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you to make a home in your life. And who's committed to helping you mature in your new nature and to help you and to guide you and to convict you and to lead you and to empower you to live a life of radical devotion to Jesus Christ. John 15, Jesus says, you can't do anything apart from me. Anything. And the good news as a believer is you got him. He's with you. He's given you his spirit. He's made you a new creation. What that means is you're not only set free from sin, you're empowered to walk in obedience. Those are wonderful truths this morning. Only if you walk into 2022 like you believe they're true. If you rely on his presence to get you through temptation. If you remember his presence and respect his presence. And lean on his presence. And treasure his presence in your life. The key to obeying his word. The key to being a bold witness. The key to glorifying God. Is leaning on the truth that he's with us. And he'll never leave us. It's treasuring that truth. Do you treasure that truth? Do you treasure it? A lot of little kids and maybe adults spent the day yesterday treasuring some new things. I know in my house, there's a bunch of just losing their minds with excitement, treasuring new things. And I know I use my seven-year-old as an example. But anyway, he's he's easy to pick on right now. So I'm just going to do that. It's easier to point out his sin than my sin. All right. But he was just being like any other little kid. And it's funny to watch them get excited about the things that you don't expect them to get that excited about. He got got excited about these little, they're called bot bots. They're these little transformer toys that they transform into like everyday items. It's something that I think belongs in a Happy Meal. But yet we have to pay $25 to get our kids these things. And he spent yesterday cherished and just captivated by bot bots. 
They wouldn't leave his hands. Knew where they were at all times. Captivated by them. Cherishing them. He loves them. And he may love them for a few days. But give it a few weeks. Give it a few months. And there's coming a day when that bop bot is going to be found. Maybe in between the doorpost and the wall. Stuck down collecting dust. Completely forgotten about. A distant memory to Max. Who once cherished that toy. This is just how kids are with their toys, right? And I say that to say this. Jesus is not a toy. Jesus is not a trinket. Jesus is not an heirloom. And my fear is that like immature children, we're so prone to stop living in light of his presence. His presence in us, it no longer excites us, it no longer enamors us, it no longer captivates us. And we can just kind of live with this very mundane ho-hum. I know preacher, I know I've heard this before, I've heard it, he's with us. And it no longer shakes us and affects us and excites us and emboldens us and empowers us like it should to be disciples and to make disciples. And we must learn to live in light of his presence every single day and to never get over that truth. Church, it's not just a wonderful truth we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus stood on that mountain and said, you follow me. And, that, and this truth is a truth that you can celebrate every single day. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How comforting is that truth? The God, the Lord of all authority is with you. You know what that means? It's a very freeing truth. You don't got to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders this morning. The problems that you allow to weigh heavy on your mind and distract you and create anxiousness in you and fear in you and doubt in you. You got a king who came and died for you and didn't just die for you, he gave you his presence. So you don't got to carry that. His presence with you means you don't have to go out of here and try to live the life that he's called you on your own. Treasure his presence. Listen, if Christmas is true, let's live like it's true. Let's be all in after Christmas. Let's pray.